keep your Bibles open there. Matthew, we're going to continue in this, this series, and, and I had Tara read um, the starting in verse 1, because I want to keep all of this in context as we, as we look at, at Jesus' uh, famous com, com, beatitude, uh, blessed are those who are merciful, because they will receive mercy. I want us to have all of that context in mind. And, and as I was thinking about this and, and, and studying for it, uh, I remember that it, it's in Galatians 2.20, and there's songs written about it, but Paul says this statement that it's no longer I who live, right? I live, but it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And we talk about that at baptism some. We try to really, we had a baptism a few weeks ago, really tried to spend some time with those kiddos realizing that the reason we have a baptistry that looks like a coffin, because it does, we're going to paint it, but anyway, make it even look even more like a coffin. But anyway, it's like Jesus was buried, right, for our sins. He was buried. And so we are, are buried with Christ in baptism. And then we are raised, just like Jesus was raised, we're raised to walk in newness of life. And so that, that concept, that, that sounds good. It sounds theological. It's not, it's not me who lives, right, but it's Christ who lives within me. But what, like, if I'm honest, that's hard to wrap my mind around, right? Like, it sounds beautiful, but practically you know, in my life, what does that actually mean? Because I know, like, I'm still living, and I know I'm still struggling, and, 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 and we, you know, we talk about it's not about, you know, a list of things to do, right, religion. It's, it's about uh, following Jesus. It's about a relationship, and so how do we flesh all of that out? And, and when we look at epistles or books uh, written to churches, like we did in Colossians, we often talk about how there's a rhythm to those books or, or a structure to them where uh, before we get into what we're supposed to do, those authors make it really clear who we are supposed to be, right? Or, and, and more importantly, who God is, right? So there's the, 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 what is true about you and what is true about God comes before what you're supposed to do, right? It's these, it's this pattern that happens. And so Jesus is, is, Preaching what is the most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And as you read, it's not just the Beatitudes. It's going to go from Matthew 5 to 7. And there's going to be a lot of stuff that we're called to do as Christians. So there's going to be some action stuff. But the Beatitudes is not one of those things. And it can be a little confusing because it sounds like it, right? Blessed are the, are the merciful. And so, okay, we're supposed to be merciful, right? And we're supposed to be meek. So it sounds like it's this checklist of things I'm supposed to do in order to be blessed. And, and in reality, that's not what is being said. In fact, it's actually uh, more indicators of who is blessed. This is, this is more uh, test, if you will, or indicators or evidence of the, of the spirit and of the grace of Jesus, or as Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of Jesus. Those who are part of the kingdom, you can know them by these characteristics, by these traits. And these are things that, that we are all supposed to embody, as we talked about. Right? There's not just, okay, some of you are going to be meek and some of you are going to be merciful and others of you will be persecuted and, and you know, we draw straws. It, it, it's not like that. It's different than the spiritual gifts. It, it, this is something that is supposed to be true of all of us as Christians. And so when, when we think back to, okay, it's not me who lives, but it's Christ who lives within me, what we're actually seeing in these Beatitudes is a picture of Christ. We're seeing a picture of who our Savior is and that as we, as his people, encounter him and we are born again, Right, We die to ourselves and we are raised to walk in newness of life that, that Jesus is actually living in and through us, that his kingdom has come. That's what the announcement is before in, in, in chapter 4, verse 23, right before this um, Sermon on the Mount and right after the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's this announcement that the kingdom is here. And so Jesus is bringing the kingdom. He himself is the kingdom, but now he's going to indwell us and we will live as his people here on earth. And so Jesus is indeed merciful. And so we, as his people, 
will be a people who are also merciful. But this is not something we do in order to earn it, right? It's not saying that. It's saying that because we have already received mercy, and it is an incredible, overwhelming mercy, we can't help but be merciful. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today, but I want to keep it in context of all that Jesus has been teaching us in this, this Sermon on the Mount. And, and it's, not, it's not a progression. It's not like you get one level and go to the next, but it is sort of a ladder, Charles, Charles Spurgeon would say, uh, to the next rung. And so we, we do need to think about it in, in a progressive sense. Jesus is intentional with his words here. So I found a, a diagram this week in a, in a commentary that I thought was helpful. As you look at the Beatitudes of of, of the, the character of a Christ follower. It's sort of the first three are, are an emptying, as we talked about, right? The, the first three, it, it's about recognizing like that we can't enter in the kingdom of God without first realizing we have nothing to offer to get in. Like we can't pay our way and we have no righteousness of our own, no merit to offer to a holy God that means anything to him. So we are poor in spirit, meaning we have nothing. As we stand before holy God, we have nothing. And then progressing from there, we begin to weep and mourn and grieve over our sin, over the cost of sin in our own life, what it's cost us personally, and what it costs the world continually and regularly. We weep over that. We, we are a people who mourn over sin, and we will be a people who are comforted because one day sin will be put away. One day sin will all be made right. And so we will receive that comfort. And then we're also a people who are meek. We're a people who uh, allow ourselves to be offended against without uh, re responding. We're a people who are humble because we see ourselves rightly before God. So that's sort of an emptying. And, and then once you get that flushed out, if you will, and you become this, this, this person before God, it creates in you a hunger for the right thing, the thing we were made for, right? As we get out the, the old stuff, right? Being born again, Second uh, Corinthians 5 says that if anyone's in, in, in Christ, Jesus, he's what? He's a new creation, meaning all old things are passed away, and behold, he is new, right? And so that now the new creation is craving the things of God, right? It's craving the things of hunger, or hungering for the things of righteousness, um, and, and that is the things of the kingdom of God, and those people will be the only people who are truly satisfied. Remember, this whole beatitude thing is blessed are. We could translate that to mean happy are, right? So who's going to be happy? Those who are seeking after, those who are hungering for righteousness, the kingdom of God. So that, that becomes the, the center of this, as you will. You're emptied out, and then you there's this new hunger that created as you're in Jesus. And then out of that hunger, it fleshes itself out in the next three, which becomes sort of the, the proactive pieces of the beatitude. And we become a people who are merciful, a people who are pure in heart, and a people who are um, seeking peace. That this is who the Christian is. And, and Jesus is looking at crowds, right? The first verse that Tara read reminds us that here, here he is, he's got these crowds and, he's, and he goes up on the mountain and he sits down and his disciples came to him. So he's speaking to his disciples directly in front of him, uh, at, but there's, there's these crowds listening. And Jesus says, hey, the people that you see that are poor in spirit, the people who don't pretend to have anything to offer God, Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the people who, who mourn at the state of, of Jerusalem, the state of God's kingdom, the people who mourn at the sin that is in the world, those people, they'll, they'll be comforted. Right? And on he goes, and, and, and he's speaking to them saying, hey, as you see these people living this way, you can, take, you, can, you can be sure that they're my people, that they are the kingdom people. 
because they'll be living this way. It, it, this is not, hey, become these things and then you'll be a kingdom person. No, no, he's saying that when you are a kingdom person, these things will be true of you. So Jesus is not talking about the way of salvation here, how we get saved. He talks about that in plenty of other places. Here he's talking about the evidence of grace and the evidence of salvation in a believer's life. And so he's looking at these at his disciples, the crowds can hear, and he says, as you see these people living this way, they're identifying themselves as my people. They are kingdom people. And so we come to uh, the, the specific verse today in verse 7, of blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, first, before we talk about what mercy is, and we flesh that out just a bit, we gotta, we got to do a little bit of work to make sure we're not we're not uh, misunderstanding what he's saying here, what this is not saying. Because it, it can sound a little bit like Jesus is saying is uh, only the people who display mercy are going to be the ones who receive mercy. And so you, you, we, we start thinking about Judgment Day. All of these Beatitudes have these rewards or this, the, you know, the thing that we will receive as a result. And they're all shadowed in the, this, this, this kingdom that's already but not yet, right? So there are foreshadowings, there are glimpses, there are portions of this kingdom benefit that we receive now and, and we uh, enjoy as we live life here on this earth, but there are delayed things that haven't fully been consummated. There, are, there is a coming in the kingdom that hasn't been fully brought in yet, and so we're, we are to keep in mind the end. We are to keep in mind whenever Jesus brings the kingdom to bear here on earth, then we will receive this. And so, so is it only the people who are merciful who will receive mercy then on judgment day? And the answer is, is yes, but we need to make sure we're understanding a little bit of what Jesus is saying. Is it's not that you earn his mercy by being merciful, okay? We need to be clear there. This is not a work salvation. If that were true, right, it would negate the whole message of the rest of the Bible, which is we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, right? That, that it is not of our own doing that we receive salvation, but it is only through him. And so what does he mean there? And I, I want to uh, look at a couple of, uh, I want to look together at, at Matthew 18, um, just, just briefly, and we'll, we'll reference this a couple of, of different times. But in Matthew 18, Jesus is, is telling a parable, and he does this often to help us understand um, the truths of the kingdom. And so as, as he's talking with some, some people, he, he, he says, okay, think about it this way. In Matthew 18, 23, he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And we began to settle. One was brought to him who owed over 10,000 talents. That's a huge sum of money that's hard to translate for us, but it's, it's a debt that, that no one would ever really feasibly be able to pay. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, or compassion, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, okay, so, so keep in mind, this is the picture Jesus is painting. He says there's this guy who has this master, and he owes him a debt that he'll never, ever be able to repay, and the master calls that note. Right? He says, all right, it's time to pay up. And the guy says, I, got, I, I don't have it. And there's no way I'll ever have it. Like it he says, all right, well, then you're going to be sold and your family and your kids and all your property, and, and, and I'll take that as a payment. Right? They're collecting on the collateral that is his very life. Right? This is a different time. And it, like, so, yeah, they're going to be sold into whatever degree of 
you know, servitude, slavery, whatever it is, and master will get money from that. And the guy pleads with him. He says, no, please, give me more time, and I'll, 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 I'll pay you every bit of it. And the master has sympathy on him, has pity, pity on him, it says, and forgives him. So that same man, he forgave him that enormous debt. That same man went out, and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he, said, and he seizes him, and he begins to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. Can you imagine this? I want you to picture this in your mind. This man who's just forgiven an unbelievable debt, now goes out and finds somebody that he has loaned like two or three days' wages instead of 20 years' wages, right? And, and, he's, and he's calling on this. He's saying, pay me what you owe. Aggressively so, choking him even. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, have patience with me, and, and I'll pay you. And he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that he had taken what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, right? Can you imagine watching this play out? Can you imagine what you would do if, if, if you were observing this guy who had just been forgiven this enormous debt, goes out, chokes the guy, have, has him arrested, demanding that he pay him what he owed, so small in comparison, and so they, they go to the master, and they, re- they report what they had seen. And the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy, there's our word, on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all, all his debt. So also my heavenly father, Jesus says, this is, this is, this is harsh words. We need, we need to hear it. It's, it's in the Bible. It came from our Jesus. He says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The book of James says that judgment is without mercy to those who haven't showed mercy. So what is he saying? There is this tension that is building. There is this tension that seems to be said that if we don't forgive, if we don't show mercy in that same way, then we ourselves won't be forgiven. But, but this, we gotta be careful in the cause and effect because what Jesus is actually saying here is there's no way that we can actually experience his mercy, rightly experience his mercy and not extend it to others. There's no way, he's saying. There's no way that we can rightly view ourselves, having been found to be poor in spirit, right? Understanding that as we stand before a holy God, we will have nothing to offer him. Remember, we only get into the kingdom starting there, understanding we have nothing to offer before a holy God. When we've experienced that, when we realize that, that we deserve to be consumed, that we deserve the lake of fire, it it will be no longer a question. You need to know this. When you stand before God on that day, and you all will stand before God on a day, there will be no question about whether hell is ethical or right or, or whether God could be loving and send anybody there. You will understand in that moment instantly that he is fully righteous to have a place known as hell where the lake of fire is and that you deserve nothing except that lake of fire. You will understand in a moment, beholding the God of glory and holiness and righteousness, that you and your righteousness is like filthy rags that deserves nothing but to burn for eternity. And it is in that state that Jesus reaches down to us and brings atonement. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. That, that Jesus comes into a world full of brokenness. What we're going to see is that mercy is, is it, synonym is kind of compassion, but it's compassion that takes action, right? It, it, mercy encompasses both the forgiveness of those who have wronged us, but also a compassion or a pity that leads us to do something about it, that leads us to relieve the action. Jesus is our mercy. Jesus sees us, you and me, that deserve hell. He sees us in our state. He sees us without hope, and he leaves heaven. And he comes and lives among us. And he comes and he, and he suffers with us. And he comes and he's tempted like us. And yet, he's without sin. And then he goes on and he dies for us so that we could be saved. As Mark said earlier, that, that, that is, uh, another great theologian says this is the great exchange. That Jesus takes our filth, our sin, and he takes it upon himself. And in return, he gives us his righteousness. And so he looks at, at us, crushed before a holy God, and he lifts our head, and he offers us forgiveness. He offers us mercy. And, and, and we get to be saved. Like that, we are the man who owes the debt who can never be paid. We are the sinner who has no hope. We are the people who are on the fringes that society has rejected. As you see Jesus step onto the scene and as you read the gospels, you need to know that the people that he is seeking out are people who are far from God, people who the world has written off. And Jesus goes, as, as Derek pointed out, to the tax collectors, people who are hated, people who are seen as evil and selfish and, and crooks. Jesus goes to them. Jesus goes to the prostitutes. Jesus goes to those who are far from him. Jesus goes to the sick, to the, the, the lepers, the people who, who have been in quarantine for most of their life and have to yell out, unclean, unclean, as they go down the, the street. Jesus goes and finds them. And instead of their filth rubbing off on him that everybody's been afraid of, Jesus extends his hand and his righteousness starts rubbing off on them. He starts to bring the kingdom to bear. He starts to show mercy to a world that does not deserve it. And Jesus says, when you realize that's true of you, that you're no better than the brother or sister that you've compared yourself to, when you realize that, when you realize you don't deserve anything from God except the hell that he's prepared for those who choose to go there, then how could you not be overwhelmed by his grace? Could you not be overwhelmed by his mercy? It's often been said that grace is, is, like mercy is getting something, or is not getting something that we do deserve, and grace is getting something that, that we don't deserve, right? It's a fullness of, of God encompassed in those ideas, but this, this idea of mercy that we deserve hell, that we deserve the lake of fire, and yet he offers us salvation. He, and, and he doesn't just feel for us. That's the difference. He doesn't just feel for us. He does something about it. And that's the mercy. It's, it's, it's the compassion, it's the pity, but it's also the action to relieve that suffering. Jesus does something about it. So he says, how could we experience that? How could we experience that kind of love, that kind of mercy showed on us and then not show it to others? And what this passage in James and Matthew 18 are saying is that you can't. 
You can't. That, that if you've truly experienced the mercy of, of Jesus, that you will naturally become a merciful person. So yeah, it's not that only, if you show mercy to everybody, then you'll receive mercy at the end. No, no, no. It's, hey, unless you've been transformed into a merciful person, you have no hope at the end. Unless you can be sure that, that you have banked on the mercy of Jesus as your only salvation, you have no hope at the end. And if you have banked on, on the mercy of Jesus for your salvation, you will be transformed into a merciful person. So that's what he's saying here, is that the people who are merciful, have be, they, they became merciful out of a new birth. They became merciful out of a transformation when they encountered the risen Jesus. And, and as that transformed individual, they will live a merciful life. And if they have not began to live a merciful life, then they, we should see that as an indicator that perhaps we have not received the mercy of Jesus after all. Perhaps we are not in his kingdom the way that we thought we were, but we'll talk a, a bit more about that later. So, so that is what he's saying is, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, for it is only the people who've cried out to Jesus for mercy and their salvation who will actually receive it on that day. And so we become a merciful people. So, mercy encompasses both forgiveness, wrongs that have been done against us and other people, and compassion upon people who are suffering, people who are poor, people who are struggling, and it's doing something about it. Okay, so we, we looked at the parable of the, of the wicked slave. I want to look at another parable which Jesus gives to help us understand mercy, and it broadens our perspective just a bit. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there with me, it's too long to put on the screen, so I'll, I'll give you just a moment if you want to turn to the right to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. As you often know, Jesus had these back and forths with the religious people and the uh, you know, people trying to trap him, and this is one of those things you see in verse 25 of Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This was common. Jesus was used to it. He can handle it. He says, hey, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and your mind and your strength and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, well, you've answered correctly. Go do that and you'll live. Okay, so here's the tension. Here's, this guy goes, hey, how do I get eternal life? Jesus says, well, what's the Bible say? He says, well, I should love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. Jesus says, that's exactly right. Go do that, and you'll live. Right? Jesus is awesome. You need to read these. You need to put yourself in these conversations. These are fantastic like, in exchanges. If you just read the Bible, it's just like, this is just really remote. Like, no, these are conversations. That Jesus is witty. Jesus is bold. Jesus is funny. So you need to, you need to read that as such. So he goes, yeah, that's right. Go do that. And the guy goes, well, verse 29, here's, here's all of us, right? Desiring to do what? Justify himself, right? He says to Jesus, who, who exactly is my neighbor? Right, you fill in the blank with your own question, right? Well, do I really have to do this? Well, what, what, what does that really mean? He says, who, who, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Can we be a little more specific? And then Jesus tells this, this incredible, famous, poignant story. Verse 30, Jesus says, There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So he says, there's this man. Uh, he, he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he got mugged, right? He fell among robbers. They, they stripped him. They took all of his stuff. They beat him, and then they left him there. Now, by chance, a priest 
was going down that road. And when he saw him, he did what? He passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and, and saw him, passed by on the other side too. Okay, so Jesus says, Here, here's, here's the guy who will be the equivalent of a preacher, right? A guy who works for the church. He's clergy. Sees this man who's been beaten, left for dead, robbed. There, suffering, struggling, unable to care for himself, unable to do anything for himself. And the priest scoots over. Scoots over. And you say, well, there's, there's laws. I mean, he can't get close. He would, be, he would be unclean. I mean, but the point remains. Jesus says he, he scoots over. And then a Levite, another guy who's within the, the tribe, who, who sort of works for the, the church as well. And he does the same thing but then a Samaritan. And, and I don't have time to fully unpack why this is such a bold story, but the Samaritans were the hated enemies of the Jewish people. They were considered ethnically, they were considered half-breeds, they were confused theologically, they were the enemies. Jewish people would go way out of their way, if you look at the map, to, to avoid the Samaritan people. They did not want to associate with them, they certainly didn't want to interact with them. And so Jesus picks this person, the hated ethnic group of the day, the people that made the, the Jews skin crawl. He picks them and he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, listen to this, he had compassion. So the other guys saw him too, right? They saw him, but what, what, did, what did seeing them cause them to do? Move to the other side of the road and go on about their day. When this guy sees him, he does what? He has compassion. That's good, right? He felt bad for him. Maybe throw up a prayer for him and head on to church. Is that what he does? No. The compassion is paired with action, right? And so what does he do? He goes up to him, and he, and he binds up his wounds, and he pours oil and wine. He, he, he ministers to him, right? He gets out his first aid kit. He gets out his own resources. He starts giving of this, what, what he has to, to care for this man, and then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, the, 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 the implication here is this man had somewhere to be. Anybody ever had somewhere to be and did not have time to be inconvenienced? Anybody? Right? This guy was on the road for a reason. He had an appointment. He had an agenda. But what does he do? He doesn't just stop, make a call. He doesn't just throw some money at the guy. He doesn't give him a Band-Aid. No, no, no. He, he stops. He's willing to be interrupted. He's willing to be inconvenienced. And he's willing to give of his own resources to care for this man. So he sets him on his own animal, right? So he gives him his seat, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. It stays the night, even. And the next day, he took, he took out more money, and he gave, gave it to the innkeeper and saying, hey, take, take care of him. Whatever more you spend... I'll repay you when I come back. You see this, this generous move from this man. He's not just doing bare minimum. I mean, some of us, we've been there like, okay, I gotta help this person. I really don't have time, but like, what do you need, right? Are you done? Am I, okay, we're good. Have a good day, right? No, this man leans in, gives him his own animal, takes him to an inn, stays there with him, leaves some more money and tells the innkeeper, please make sure he has everything he needs. And if you need something beyond this, put it on my tab and I'll pay you later. Verse 36, Jesus says, now, remember, remember the question from the man, how do I get eternal life? Jesus says, love God, love your neighbors yourself. And this guy wants to know, who does he have to love? 
How far does that go? What exactly do you mean? And Jesus tells this story, and then he, then he ends this way, verse 36. Which of these three, I want you to imagine Jesus looking at you, asking you this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Can you imagine how quiet it was in that moment? Can you imagine the tension in that room, in that place? Remember, this is an educated man. This is a lawyer. He knows the law. He knows God's word. He says, well, the one who showed him what? Mercy. There's our word. There's our word. So this, this is not just about forgiving. It's not less than forgiving. It's not just about compassion. Not less than compassion. But Jesus says, the one who showed him Mercy. Or this man says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. You see what Jesus is saying to this young lawyer, to all of us, he, to, to be written and recorded in the, the Bible that we would read thousands of years later to be proclaimed here at the Journey Church in 2021. What, what Jesus is saying is that if, if you have an encounter with the grace and the mercy of God, you will become a merciful person beyond all explanation, beyond all cultural expectation. You will be a people who are marked by a radical mercy because you've been changed by a radical mercy merciful God. And if not, don't claim to be one of his because this is Jesus's kingdom. This is how he transforms lives. So that gives us a picture of mercy. That we are people who are ready to forgive Right? Are people who are willing to do the work of, of forgiving. We don't hold on to grudges. We don't treasure them. We don't treasure that bitterness. Now, we've talked before. I want to say again, there's, there's qualifiers there, right? That we're not talking about someone who is who's willing to forgive and, and knows that they need to, but they're, you're struggling, right? You've, you've done the work, but you're still struggling with that bitterness. Like that, that, that's a part of it. That's to be expected. Some of you, there's a wound so fresh, you can't get there yet. That's not who Jesus is talking about here. Who he's talking about and giving a warning to is people who have no intention, no interest in forgiving people who have harmed them. He says, if that's you, then you need to check your soul. If that's you, woe unto you. If you have no intention of forgiving the, those who have, who have harmed you and wronged you, if you like holding on to those, those grudges, that bitterness, if you like being victimized, if you like knowing that you have that, then Jesus says, no, no, until you give that up, you see, then you're not poor in spirit. Because right? if you're still holding on to that, thinking you're entitled to that, that, that grievance, that, that, that bitterness, right? Yeah, you're, you're not being, you, can't, you can't hold on to anything if you're poor in spirit, right? If you've become poor in spirit, you've opened your hands to all of it and you've let it go. So if you're, if you're, if you're that person, right? If you're, you're you have, maybe, maybe, maybe there's somebody in here, like you haven't spoken to some family members in years, 
And you were wronged. You were wronged. I, I was having a conversation this week with, uh, about property. Anybody, anybody ever have somebody die and not have a, a will written and then a family gets destroyed? Yeah. Property, my family. And, and I, was, I was talking to a guy, kind of know we were talking about it, and I said, I don't think I've ever hated anybody, but I struggle with this one particular person over that deal. I gotta, I gotta let that go. I can't, there's no room for that in my heart if I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness. There's no room for that if I'm poor in spirit, right? Like I have to continually bring that to Jesus, right? Some of you, you have relationships that have never been repaired because you're too proud to show mercy. Jesus is saying, you need to take whatever grudge you're holding and don't compare it horizontally. Don't compare your righteousness to somebody else and say, well, I, I've done this and this and I, I deserve that and until they come and acknowledge me, we're just done. Don't compare your grievances horizontally. Jesus says, no, 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 bring that thing here. Bring it here and look at the cross. Look at the cross where Jesus, who had done no wrong, stood, hung there, not stood there, hung there. And as he, he was feeling the pain from the nails that had been driven into his hands and into his feet. And, and as he's, he's feeling his body just being scraped against the wood that's been opened up by the beatings that he received before he even got on the cross. And as he's unable to breathe because the, the, the weight of his body is pulling down on his hands and his diaphragm can't lift up, so he has to push up on his feet just to get a breath. As he's going through all of that over and over again just to get a breath, he looks out at the crowd of, of filthy sinners and what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. That's mercy. That's mercy. Was Jesus being wronged? Yeah, of course. Greatest evil in history. You have reason to have have beef with those people? Would Jesus have been justified to hold on to some bitterness? Of course. But his response, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You see, there's that compassion. There's that, even the, the Bible would use the word pity. I don't like the word pity, if I'm being honest, because I don't want to be pitied. Anybody else? Don't pity me. Punch in the throat. I don't, don't pity me, right? That'll make me want to fight. I feel like you're pitying me. I just want to, I want to defend myself. I'm just being honest. Struggle with that. Why? Because I'm not, I need, to, I need to be more poor in spirit, right? I need to be, I need to be more, more meek. But, but Jesus says, hey, when you hold yourself up against the cross of Jesus Christ, now the grudges and the harms and the things that have been done to you, how dare you hold on to them when I didn't hold on to what you've done to me? How dare you hold on to them whenever the Lord of, of, of all righteousness chose to throw our sins into the sea that has no bottom or shore as far as east is from the west. He's no more bringing them up. How dare you hold on to your grief, your, to, to your grievances rather, to, to what's been done to you. If you are a people who have experienced the mercy of Jesus, we have to be a people who are willing to extend mercy to others. And that's going to require us seeing them through the eyes of Jesus. 
right? So Matthew 9, where, where um, Derek referenced earlier, Jesus has compassion upon people. Later in the, in the passage, uh, the end of that chapter is when he says the harvest is plentiful. But Jesus has that response in verse 36, when he sees the crowds, when he sees people, these are people who have rejected him. They're just supposed to be his people, and they've rejected him. And, and he knows they're about to crucify him, and he has compassion upon them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus says, he turns to his disciples, he says, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What are those laborers are gonna be? Those are gonna be laborers who have encountered Jesus' mercy and now go and proclaim his mercy and extend it to others, right? That Jesus has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So when you are wronged, when you see the, the, the wildness, when you see somebody who is suffering and maybe they brought it on themselves, Maybe you see the person on the side of the road with a help sign and you know their story and you know they brought it on themselves so you don't have compassion upon them because they deserve to be there. Jesus says, no, 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 we gotta look at them differently because I looked at you differently. Jesus says, no, no, you gotta look at them differently because I looked at you differently because Jesus looked at us helpless and like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion upon us. Compassion that leads him to do something about it, to make a way to relieve our suffering. That's what Jesus does for us. So what do we do for people? We need to do the same. We need to see them with compassion. Jesus tells those people, go and learn what this means. I love that. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifices. If you're here and you think that God just wants you to come to a few services and give a little bit of money and sing a few songs and you'll be good with him, you've missed the point. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not ritual, not sacrifices. If your, sacri if your sacrifices and your rituals and your busyness in the name of Jesus is keeping you from showing mercy to the people that he loves, then you have missed the point. That's the whole story of the Good Samaritan. That's the whole indictment from Isaiah 56 and 58 where Jesus says, you're acting like my people, but meanwhile, you're stepping over the suffering on your way to come and be my people. And he says, stop it. Don't sing another song, don't light another fire until you have repented and cared for those that are out there amongst you. So I ask you today, what do you see in your own heart? What is reflective of your own heart whenever you see the suffering of people around you? Is it, is it judgment and indignation? Self-righteousness? Or is it compassion and a compulsion to action? Because that's mercy. We talk often about there's suffering in our area. There's churches everywhere. There's a lot of good. We're sheltered from a lot of the nonsense that happens in more urban areas. Like, I'm glad to live where I live, right? I love this place. But there's suffering here. There's addicts who are struggling, who've lost their families, who've lost their kids, they've lost their homes. Jesus wants us to have mercy upon them. What does that look like? Well, read the Gospels. Jesus goes toward them, not away from them. Right? Jesus goes toward them. Right? There's kids who are in, I told you last Saturday night, I got a call about a 15-year-old, 15-year-old boy, where do we put him? I don't know. I, don't have, I can't take him to my home. Right? 
Does that mean you've got to take a kid? I don't know. You've got to take that up with the Lord. But, but when, when we see people suffering underneath our noses, we as God's people have to examine our heart. What do we do about it? Well, Jordan, I didn't think we had to do anything to earn God's mercy. No, no, no. But because we've received his mercy, we must be a people of mercy. Otherwise, we're not his people. Titus 3 says this, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We'll read that again. This is about us, people who are inside the church, people who are his people. He says, we ourselves were once we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, when we were confronted with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when that happened, he saved us. Not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own what, church? Mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. We're all lost and caught up in our own mess, hating one another in malice and envy outside of Jesus. Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, let's read that. It's too good. That's how we're going to end. Let's go to Ephesians 2 together. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Okay, when you see people struggling, what do you think about them? They just get it together. Stupid Republicans, stupid Democrats, they just figure it out. Fill in the blank, right? Stupid what? Like, whatever. Whatever your response is, Jesus says, no, no, no. You were also just as stupid. You were also just as struggling. So put yourself there and remember that this was you. You were following the course of this world. So we have compassion upon people because they're like sheep without a shepherd and what they need is the gospel. They don't need our self-righteousness running them down further. What they need is the gospel. Foster kids don't just need clothes and, and, and beds and cribs. What they need is the gospel. And how will they hear it if we don't go tell them? Yeah, we'll meet needs. That's great. But we, they need the gospel. Addicts don't just need a place to meet on Tuesday nights. They need the gospel. How will they know it if we don't go tell them? They need the gospel. Because what? We were there. We needed the gospel. Until we got it, we were dead in our sins. We, we were pitied because we were just following the course of this world. The spirit that's now at work in the, spirit, in the sons of disobedience. When you see the struggle of the world, you need to see yourself as once being there also. And among whom we all once lived, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The old saying, but by the grace of God, that could be me, right? You need to know that. You need to seal that. You need to let that propel you into action because this, but God, but God, that was us, but God, right? That's our resume. 
here's this person who needs help. Well, what can you tell me about them? They're terrible. In fact, they're dead. How am I going to help a dead person? God. How? Because he's what? He's rich in what? Mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him. He's raised us up with him, seated him in the, in the heavenly places. You see the parable of the Good Samaritan? Jesus is our Good Samaritan. I don't know if you realize that. That's the big E on the eye chart. He's the Good Samaritan. He's the one who came to do this for us because he didn't just have compassion for us. He didn't just feel bad that we were on our way to hell. You realize that? He did something about it. And he didn't just forgive us. He made a way for us to be seated in the righteousness of God. That should blow our ever-loving minds, right? Like, we should never get over that. So mercy, forgiving, compassion, and action. Doing what we can to relieve the suffering, to make a way, right? He, he does that for us. He seated us with Christ. So that in the coming ages, <laughs> this is the Good Samaritan giving... Here's money to take care of for him. And if you need more, put it on my tab. Listen, Jesus has said the same to the Father. Amen? He said, here's my blood. Take care of them. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. If they cry out for mercy, give it to them, Father. And if they sin again, put it on my tab. I'll pick it up forever and ever and ever. Put it on my tab. This is what, this is the gospel. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved, church, through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of that is right, is, is captured right there. We're not saved by good works, but because we are saved, we got some good work to do. And we should be a people of mercy. Let's pray. God, help us. That's all we can say. As, this, as the parable of, of the two men, one boasting of his own righteousness and, and saying, thank you for not letting me be like these other people, and the other one just beating his chest, saying, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's us, Lord. And if it's not, let it be us. Crush us until it is us that we know that we have nothing to stand before, holy God. No hope except your mercy. Help us, Lord, as we respond. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you're here and you're, you're, the evidence is saying, I don't know if I've been saved because I don't have any of that in me. Hey, good news is you can be saved today. Today, cry out to him. Do just that. Beat your chest and say, have mercy upon me, God.